Morning, everyone. Thanks so much for being here. I um, want to encourage you, if you have a Bible uh, with you, or maybe it's an app on one of the devices, we all carry probably multiple devices with us anywhere we go, and uh, you probably have the Bible app or some app on your phone that would bring up 2 Samuel chapter 11 is where we're going to spend um, <clears throat> our time together this morning. And as you turn there or bring that uh, passage up, just want to let you know of one thing that will be happening immediately after the service is a simple gathering called Guest Connection. Uh, we specifically plan this, uh, I believe it's every other month for those who are new, maybe it's your very first time at Hope Church or fairly new, trying to get uh, acclimated here, adjusted here, getting to know the staff and what we do. Uh, so that'll be immediately after the service, room five, out these doors to your left. We have some snacks, no cost, no need to sign up ahead of time. Just show up. Uh, We'd love to talk with you, answer any uh, questions you might have. So just let you know where we're going. I always think it's good to just kind of give you the heads up and just understand where we're going. We've got one more week in this series uh, next week, and then after that we have a missionary uh, coming. Alan Kropp uh, from Japan is going to be here. He was here, I believe, about three years ago. Uh, Alan spoke here at Hope, and he's coming back. And then the week after that, we start Lent. Um, Lent starts uh, with Ash Wednesday, which is, it's interesting how the calendar falls this year. Ash Wednesday is on Valentine's Day, February 14th. And then uh, lo and behold, Easter Sunday falls on April 1st, which is April Fool's Day. So you already got your opening illustration, uh, or I already have my opening illustration for you. April Fool's, he didn't really rise from the dead. No, he did. Um, But um, so that's where we're going. And then uh, that'll take us into April and we'll go from there. But uh, we're in this four-part series thinking about this word uncomfortable. And we're, we're talking about uncomfortable topics that really need to be talked about. And this is not an exhaustive list by any stretch of the imagination. We're just talking about just kind of hitting on four uh, themes and subjects. Two weeks ago, we talked about racism. Uh, last week, we talked about the sanctity of life. Today, as you can see, we're talking about sexual harassment. And, and then we're moving next week into money and uh, kind of in a very specific way there. So sexual harassment, and I even want to broaden the title to not just harassment, but assault and abuse. Um, I want to maybe answer the, the, the question that some of you might even be asking, started even asking a few weeks ago when we announced this, like, why? Why is this something we're talking about uh, today? Why is this something we're talking about here at Hope Church? And I especially want to address even the first, why not? Uh, we're not addressing this. And especially for those who are new, you might be here today and you're like, man, they're talking about this. Is something going on here? Like something happened here at Hope Church that they're addressing this? And I want to let you know, we're not addressing this to call out any one group of people or person. We're not addressing this because of something that's happened uh, necessarily here at Hope Church. So why are we talking about this? I think we would all admit that over the last several months, we are seeing something that we have never seen before. Uh, Back in the fall, uh, the Me Too movement, so to speak, started. And actually, it started early. It was back in 2006 when that kind of was launched, but it really took great and gained traction just in the fall. But people, both women and men, are courageously sharing their stories of sexual harassment, assault, and abuse, unlike any other time we have ever seen. Uh, 
And it isn't just in one arena of life, but we are seeing it take place in all arenas of life. We're seeing it take place in Hollywood, uh, in politics, in sports, and we can't say the church is exempt from this. We're seeing this take place even in the church, that, that men and women and children are courageously sharing their stories that for any number of reasons they have remained silent and some haven't told anyone, or they've told just a a small group of people, but now they are sharing pretty courageously their experiences. And even, friends, I think we are all aware, even just this past week, as we watched a doctor, former doctor, sentenced to 175 years in jail for sexually abusing upwards of 200 women over a period of 30 years. I don't know about you, maybe you listened to some of the, uh, the impact statements at the sentencing of Larry Nasser. You heard some of these women share their experience and what they've gone through and how many had told people what they've gone through. And these things just went on and on and on. So what do we do? When we see stories here, stories being told statistically, just, I'm not going to overwhelm you with statistics today, but just one statistic I found just eye-opening is that here in the United States, every 98 seconds, either a man, woman, or child is sexually assaulted. Every 98 seconds here in the United States. That's taking place. So we, we, we maybe focus on the, the ones that gain national attention, the stories, and, and we hear those, but there's so many things that are happening just on a daily basis in, in neighborhoods and in families and institutions and in all arenas of life. So what do we do? Do we ignore these realities? Do we... Uh, maybe some like pray and hope they go away, the, the headlines, the stories stop coming out. Uh, do we say, well, that hasn't been my experience, so, or in my, someone's, a friend of mine or a family member's experience, so uh, I don't really want to think about these things, like, like I'm just pushing it to the side. It's really bad, but doesn't really impact us or me or our family, so, you know, what do we do? Do we ignore it? And, and I want to today, I think you hopefully get the sense that we're not ignoring it. We're taking the time to talk about it because if there's any place, community, or group of people that believe in the healing, restoration, and redemption, it's to be the church. And here's my big idea. I'm going to share it here. I'll share it at the end. Friends, I really believe there is no other community, and this is long. I'll read it for you. It's up there on the screen for you. I believe there is no other community with the capacity to create safe environments for healing and restoration for those survivors, as well as environments for confession and repentance and healing for those who have committed these acts than the church. I believe we, as the body of Christ, can offer to this conversation things that the world can't offer. Because of what we believe and what the Bible teaches. Today, I hope you hear that we balance both thinking of those who are survivors, those that have been, who have been sinned against, those have been on the hands of sexual assault and trauma and assault and abuse, and those who have committed these things. 
We need to think about both. It's not one or the other, but friends, we need to think about both because of what we believe the Bible teaches. I, we believe that Jesus is the one who can heal us, heal us from our greatest hurts and traumas in life, and we also believe in the God of forgiveness and redemption and grace. So we need to think about both. And I want us to grow into this. This is something you just kind of um, arrive at or you get there. But I think it's something we as a body of Christ, as a community of believers here at Hope Church, we grow into. This is something we are striving towards. And what I want us to do today is I want us to look at probably a pretty well-known story out of the Bible. A very unsanitized story out of the Bible, of a person, a man, in this situation, a man, again, this is something just for men or women, or just women or just men, it's both and, but this story is going to be about a man in a position of power who used or abused his position, misused his power to use a woman and then try to cover it up. You modernize this story a little bit, and this could be a headline today. We're seeing similar headlines today of what, takes, what took place so many years ago in 2 Samuel chapter 11. Here at Hope, when, when we uh, uh, read or, or talk about passages of the Bible, it's usually uh, just a few verses of Scripture. Today, we're gonna, I'm going to read for us, and it's purposeful, I'm going to read for us all 27 verses of chapter 11. Because I want, you to, I want us to understand and even feel the depth of this story. And maybe in a new way, in light of what we're seeing today, experiencing today, in light of what people bring to this, this room even today, the experiences you bring to this room. So the words will be up there. You can follow along. I just want to read this entire story and then we'll go back through it. Not every verse, but we'll go back through it. And learn how we can grow more into this community of people from this story. Starts in verse 1 of chapter 11. In the springtime, in the spring, excuse me, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. They destroyed the Ammonites and besieged Reba. But David remained in Jerusalem. One evening, David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba, the daughter of Iliam, the wife of Uriah the Hittite? Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him and he slept with her. He had purified him, her, she had purified herself from her uncleanliness. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David saying, I am pregnant. So David sent this word to Joab, send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him, David, sent him to David. When Uriah came to him, David asked him how Joab was, how the soldiers were, and how the war was going. When David said, then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace and a gift from the king was sent after him. But Uriah slept at the entrance to the palace 
with all his master's servants and did not go down to his house. Then David was told Uriah did not go home. He asked him, haven't you just come from a distance? Why didn't you go home? Uriah said to David, the ark in Israel and Judah are staying in tents and my master Joab and my Lord's men are camped in the open fields. How could I go home? How could I go to my house to eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, I will, know, I will not do such a thing. Then David said to him, stay here one more day and tomorrow I'll send you back. So Uriah remained in Jerusalem that day and the next. At David's invitation, he ate and drank with him, and David made him drunk. But in the evening, Uriah went out to sleep on, on his mat among his master's servants. He did not go home. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab and sent it with Uriah. In it, he wrote, Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is the fiercest, then withdraw from him so he will be struck down and die. So while Joab had the city under siege, he put Uriah at a place where he knew the strongest defenders were. When the men of the city came out and fought against Joab, some of the men in David's army fell. Moreover, Uriah the Hittite died. Joab sent David a full account of the battle. He, sent instru he instructed the messenger, when you have finished giving the, kings, the king this account of the battle, the king's anger may flare up and he may ask you, why did you get so close to the city to fight? Didn't you know they would shoot arrows, uh, arrows from the wall? Who killed Abimelech, son of Jerubbesheth? Didn't a woman throw an upper millstone? Uh, didn't a woman throw an upper millstone on him from the wall so that he died in Thebes? Why did you get so close to the wall? And if he asks you this, then say to him, also your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. The messenger set, set out and when he arrived, he told David everything Joab had sent to him. The messenger said to David, the men overpowered us and came out against us in the open, but we drove them back to the entrance to the city gate. Then the archers shot arrows at your servants from the wall, and some of the king's men died. Moreover, your servant Uriah the Hittite is dead. David told the messenger, say this to Joab, don't let this upset you. The sword devours one as well as the other. Press the city, press attack, press the attack against the city and destroy it. Say this to encourage Joab. When Uriah's wife heard that her husband was dead, she mourned for him. After the time of mourning was over, David had her brought to his house and she became his wife. And he bore him a son. She bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. If you and I are writing the Bible, this story doesn't go in. Right? And I'm thankful today that as horrific and awful, painful as this story is, this is in the Bible. The Bible doesn't sanitize mankind's worst decisions at our lowest points. It doesn't sanitize mankind's pain and pain that's been caused by someone else. 
but it includes it for us to even learn from today. God doesn't sugarcoat the immense pain and people have caused others. The story is, again, maybe familiar to most here today, but the context is it's springtime. In a more literal reading of verse 1, chapter 11, verse 1, is at the return of the year. So what that means is it's basically the year anniversary from when they started fighting the Ammonites. That was in chapter 10. We didn't read all that. But in chapter 10, David and his fighting men, the armies, start fighting the Ammonites. And they don't finish the job. There's still work to be done. So they come back to Jerusalem, and now a year has passed. And David says, it's time to go finish what we started with the Ammonites. And instead of David going to fight or lead the men into battle, David sends Joab and his men to fight and finish off what they were doing with the Ammonites. And instead of fighting and going into battle, David stays home. We don't exactly know why. There's a lot of speculation, ideas as to why David stayed home. We don't know why, but all we know is he stayed home. And while he's home, we're told one evening he got up from his bed. So whether he was just on his bed, laying on his bed or asleep and had one of those, I can't sleep anymore moments and gets out of bed and he's walking, we're told in verse two, he's walking around the roof of the palace. And while he's walking around on the roof of the palace, again, a higher elevation, he looks down and he sees a woman bathing. And in that moment, he sends to find out who she is. He, and again, he's the king. He can do whatever he wants at really any moment. He has kind of ultimate power. People will do whatever he wants. I need this. I want to eat this. I need you to go here, get this person, whatever he says his servants do. And I want to just pause right here for a moment. When we read in verse 2, from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. And I want us to just pause right here in light of what we're talking about today. Because uh, some have taken this part of the story and said, well, when they look at the whole story and what David did, they go back to this part in verse 2. And there's a, some, I'm not saying everyone, he, any people here, but I just want to talk about this. Because some people take that to say, somehow Bathsheba was guilty or somehow kind a part of this of enticing David or any other man that would see her bathing out in the open that somehow she had a part in her being uh, taken to the palace and sleeping that she kind of had like it was somehow she was a, a part of this and I want to let you know that the text, the story we've read even through all of, of 2 Samuel chapter 11 there's no sense in this story and in this passage that somehow Bathsheba was somehow guilty of enticing David or she was trying to get his attention to send someone for her so she would be taken back to the palace. So why is that important to talk about? Especially in light of what we're talking about, sexual harassment, assault, and abuse. I believe it's important to talk about because as people courageously share their stories, one of the things that a theme that sometimes comes out is this feeling of shame that somehow they did something wrong to cause the abuse or the assault or the harassment. Some of you sitting here today, what, ex what you experienced was maybe 30 years ago, 10 years ago. It's, it was a while ago. 
and you still today feel even some sense of shame, like I, if I hadn't been wearing this piece of clothing, the assault wouldn't have happened. If I'd made better choices, if I had a better reputation, and you feel to some degree some sense of shame, it was your fault. And what I want to say for you especially today is it's not your fault. I want to let you know it's not your <coughs> fault. Is modesty important? Yes. Is it, good to make, is it wise to make good choices? Absolutely. But friends, a certain piece of clothing, bad choices, bad reputation does not give anyone the right to harass, abuse, or assault you. Does not give them the right. No matter what you've done. It's not your fault. Everything in us as we read this story, when David starts to learn who she is, and there's even debate, does he already know who she is? Or I get the sense that he doesn't. He doesn't know who she is. That's why he sends someone to find out. But he starts to learn who she is. It's Bathsheba. She's not just a woman bathing. She has a name. It's Bathsheba. She has a, a dad named Iliam, who is a well-known man in this place. She has a husband, uh, Uriah the Hittite, who's fighting for you right now. Everything in us wants to like, okay, once he finds out, he's going to stop. But he knows all of those things. And he sends for her. She comes and they sleep together and he sends her home. It's just, it's just this cold description of what took place. And what we watch is David, as he hears a report from Bathsheba, probably several weeks have gone by, Several weeks go by, she sends a report back to the, to the palace to get to David that she's pregnant. And now David goes into cover-up mode. And what we watch is David try to cover up what he has done. This wasn't part of the plan. It was one night, no one knows, no one will ever know, it's okay, several weeks go by, he's doing his thing as the king, and word comes to him she's pregnant. All right, now we got to cover this up. And we watch David really put plan A in. Okay, call Uriah home. I'm the king. I can do what I want. Send Uriah home from the battlefield. Uriah comes home. Uriah, uh, how, and he asks these questions. How's the battle going? How's Joab? I don't think he cares. But he's making small talk. How are things going? Go home. And the, the idea there is go wash your feet. What he's saying is go sleep with your wife. You come from battle, long distance, go home, sleep with your wife, go back to fight. And we know Uriah doesn't go home. Okay, plan B, I'll get him drunk. That'll do it. Stay here, let's eat, let's drink, then go home. Uriah doesn't go home. Plan C, kill him. That's the plan. He has to be eliminated. So, so it looks like we are together now that she's pregnant and, or we'll you know, be together, husband and wife, I'll take her in, I'll look like I'm rescuing her and, and that'll you know, be okay, no one will know. And, and it's amazing to me that it, here at the end of, uh, or the middle of chapter 11 that David hands Uriah the note. Just think of this. He hands Uriah the note that tells Joab what he wants him to do to Uriah. 
And to me, it shows how much integrity David knows Uriah has. That he won't open the note. I mean, it's amazing. He trusts him with this note that says, put Uriah in the front. When the fighting gets bad, pull back. And David knows because he's led men in the battle. He'll, he'll die. And it looks like it was just normal. Part of battle. And David tries to cover up what he has done. And friends, as we think of what's happening in our world today, the stories that are being shared again in every arena of life, as, as it's so incredibly hard to listen and hear people's experiences as they are willing to share them. But then at the same time, a theme that is coming out in so many of these stories is they, they shared what happened and then people tried to cover up things. Don't tell anyone. We'll take care of it. We'll move this person. We'll move that person. We don't believe you. And there's all what we see in so many arenas of life for a variety of reasons. We see cover-ups. We see, don't, let's not acknowledge what has really happened. And there's the reasons for cover-up are both personal and there's, there's institutional issues that happen. Many times it's the power that the people don't want to give up power. Many times there's the image. We've got to protect the image. We can't let people know this is happening. Many times it's the reputation. What if people know this is happening? Their, our reputation will be destroyed. We can't let people know about these things. And the reasons for cover-up go on and on and on. And David here tries to cover it up. And to some degree, he succeeds. He thinks, this is it. No one else knows. I'm good. No one's going to find out what happened. And it, this one little statement at the end of chapter 11 is just, uh, it's eye-opening. Well, maybe no one else knows. Joab would know something happened based on the note. But other than that, Probably not many people know what's happened. It says at the end of verse 27, but the thing David had done displeased the Lord. While it seems like no one else knows, and this is, David's just going to be able to move on from this and just kind of carry on doing his thing, it displeased God. And God loved David enough that what was David tried to cover up God is going to bring it to light. God's not going to let this stay hidden. God's not going to let this stay as a secret. He's going to bring this to the surface. And how do you do that? How do you confront a man who has all the power in the world, so to speak? You send a prophet to tell a story. And that's what Nathan the prophet does in verse, excuse me, chapter 12. It says in verse 1, Then the Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, he tells him a story. He says, There were two men in a certain town, one rich and the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe lamb, just a small little lamb that he had bought. Probably saved up all his money and bought this little lamb. He raised it and grew up with him and his children. He shared his food with it and drank from his cup and even slept in his arms. It's like some of us and our pets. Um, it was like a daughter to him. Now a traveler came to the rich man, but the rich man refrained. He's going to cook a meal for his friend, but he refrained from taking one of his own sheep or cattle to prepare a meal for the traveler who had come to him. Instead, he takes, like David took 
he takes the ewe lamb that belonged to the poor man and he prepared it for the one who had come to him. And notice David's response. (laughs) David being a shepherd before he was king, David burned with anger against the man, the rich man, and said to Nathan, as surely as the Lord lives and the man who did this deserves to die, he must pay for the lamb four times over because he had done, he did such a thing and had no pity. He had no mercy. He had no compassion. He, he looked at this lamb and he said, that is mine and I'm going to take it and I don't care what you think. And Nathan in that moment, verse 7, says, and then Nathan said to David, in the Hebrew, it's just two words here, but basically the idea and the statement, you are the man. David, what you just said about that rich man, having no pity, just taking that lamb, not caring about this poor man, caring about his family, caring about him, just taking it because he could. That's you. And he goes on to say, as surely as the Lord lives, excuse me, he goes on to say, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel says, I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. Nathan says to David, David, you are the man. You are the one. You've done this. You are the one that, that, that as, with all power basically took Bathsheba. There was no conversation. You saw her and you wanted her, so you took her. That's what you did. And then you tried to cover it all up and you killed her husband to protect or to cover up what you had done. David, you're the man. This is what you've done. And then Nathan goes on in verse 8. He says, says, I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I I gave you uh, the house of Israel and Judah and all of this, if it had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in your eyes? And now he unpacks, like, I'm not just telling you a story. Like, here's what has been revealed to me. You, David, struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword. You took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. Now, therefore, the sword will never depart from your house because you despised me and took the wife of Uriah the Hittite to be your own. This is what the Lord says. Out of your own household, I'm going to bring calamity upon you. Before your very eyes, I will take your your wives and give them to one who is close to you. And he will lie with your wives in broad daylight. And God, through Nathan the prophet, says, you, what you did in secret, you, you, concealed it. You hid it. You kept it in darkness. No one's going to know about this over here. But I will do this thing in broad daylight before all Israel. So what does David, how does David respond? In verse 13, then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die, but because, of by, but because by doing this, you have made enemies of the Lord show utter contempt. The son born to you will die. David, in this moment, David says, I have sinned against the Lord. Now, David, in this moment, doesn't have to confess. Many other kings put in this situation, you know what they would do? 
kill the messenger. He, he doesn't have to confess. He doesn't have to acknowledge what he did. He doesn't have to say, I did it. I have sinned. You've caught me. I, what you just laid out, I did it all. He doesn't have to. Many kings in his situation, when a prophet would come with something they didn't want to hear, I don't like you anymore, I'm going to kill you. And they would kill the prophets. And then let's get a prophet that says things I like. But friends, in this moment, David boldly and courageously confesses. Nathan, what you have just laid out, what I did to Uriah, what I did to Bathsheba, what I'm doing now, I own it. I confess it. I acknowledge it. The word confession literally means to speak the same. That that as God reveals what we've done, we speak it back. We speak the same. And David in this moment acknowledges, and friends, if we're going to be that type of community that we talked about earlier, we want to be a place of healing, a safe place of healing for those that have been sinned against. But friends, at the same time, we want to provide environments where people that have committed these types of acts can say, I've done it. Because of God's grace, I want to acknowledge what I've done. They don't sugarcoat it. They don't call it what it's not. They say, this is what I've done. I have said these things. I have done these things. I have harmed these people in this way. And David in this moment acknowledges, I've sinned against the Lord. And in this moment, David receives, and some of us, and it's hard, we might say, God, he doesn't deserve your forgiveness. But in this moment, David receives and experiences God's forgiveness. In in verse 13, David said, I've sinned against the Lord. And Nathan, the prophet, replies to him, the Lord has taken away your sin. And there's something in us that says, wait a minute. That doesn't seem right. It doesn't seem fair. And it's not. It's not fair at all. But friends, we are all sinners saved by God's grace. And David, yes, has done a horrific thing. Horrific thing. And God's forgiveness is still available to him. And we believe that. We believe that down to the core of our being. And today, if you've done these types of things, been a part of these types of behaviors, we believe God's forgiveness is available for you today. It's available for you today. But in saying that, I want to make sure you understand this too, that experiencing God's forgiveness does not remove us from the consequences. Say, I'm forgiven, but I don't want to deal with the consequences. No, you have to deal with the consequences of our choices. David, things do, and I'm not going to take time to read it, but things do not go well for David from here on out. They don't go well. It actually is really bad for David and his family from here on out. There are consequences to our decisions. So yes, we can experience God's forgiveness, God's grace, and God's mercy, but that doesn't remove us from having to embrace and deal with and walk through the consequences of our decisions. And those consequences will vary depending on what we've done. But we have to walk through the consequences because of our, our decisions, what we've done. So I want to just bring it back again to that big idea, that thought, that statement. I'll read it again. Friends, I really believe there's no other community with the capacity to create safe environment, a safe environment for healing and restoration for survivors, as well as environments of, for confession, We acknowledge what we've done. Repentance. Repentance isn't just, I feel bad for what I did. Repentance is a change of behavior. 
It's a change of action. It's, this is what I was doing, but now I'm going to do this. It's not just, I feel bad and I'm sorry, but I'm going to live differently. I'm going to get help. I'm not going to live in that lifestyle. I'm not going to be in that behavior anymore. I'm not going to speak like that anymore. That's repentance. So as well as environments for confession, repentance, and healing for those who've committed these acts other than the church. We're not talking about protecting people from their consequences, protecting people that have committed crimes. We're not talking about that. But we need to provide environments for both those who have been sinned against and those who have committed these sins. So I want to just share a few thoughts as we wrap up in kind of three ways. First, for, to all of us. Because I want to say all of us, because some, you might be here today and you're like, well, I've never done any of these things. I'm, you know, I've never harassed anyone. I've never assaulted anyone. I've never abused anyone. Uh, or I've never experienced those things. I've never been on the receiving end. So this doesn't really apply to us. And, and I want to let you know, this is something we all need to think about. And we can think about it in a few ways. First, I want to just speak to, to directly even to parents that I would encourage you, if you haven't already, that especially uh, with your children, that you would have conversations with them about, and this might sound very basic, but it's important to talk about these things, appropriate touch, good touch, bad touch, that your children know that if anyone touches you or does something that makes you feel uncomfortable, you can come and talk to mom or dad. That, that, that line, that door is always open. And it's not just a one-time thing, but as they grow mature, it's a little different when they're two years old to when they're 15 years old. And you're having these conversations about, and especially as they get into relationships and they start dating and, and, and being in relationships and thinking about those and that you're having conversations. Now, I have teenagers, so I know these conversations are like, hey, we're going to talk about this. It's like, dad, I don't want to talk about it. No, we're going to talk about it. And you usually get a lot of rolling the eyes and when are we done with this? And so that's honestly how a lot of the conversations go. But we need to be engaging in these conversations, especially as they get into relationships to say, this is what's appropriate and this is what is not. And this is how you treat people. Uh, if you're in a relationship of the opposite sex with respect and love and that no means no, and, and that we, we, understand, we help our kids as they grow and mature to know what it means to be lo loving towards someone and be treated with love and value and respect. And then there's also this part of this for all of us as we move beyond just parents and relationships, we're talking about relationship with our kids. There's also this reality that as you think about harassment and assault and abuse, in many ways what is happening is people are being objectified. They're look, being looked at as objects. Objects to control, objects to manipulate, objects for our pleasure our enjoyment. And, and what's happening is people are just being used as objects. And again, we say, oh, I haven't done any of those things, but what I want us to, I want us to draw the line and not miss this, that, that what we see continually growing in, in practice and happening more and more, this problem that continues to grow in our culture and in our world, unlike any other time we've ever seen, is the issue of pornography. And I want you to understand, I want us to understand that this isn't, I want to say a few things about it. This isn't just something men struggle with. 
That is one of the great myths of pornography, that it's just a guy thing. Guys struggle with it. But friends, it is both men are struggling with this, women are struggling with it. Something you have to think about now with pornography is people are making it because of technology. Everyone has a smartphone. And now you can record whatever's happening or snap a picture. And it's shared all over the place. So this isn't just a, a male issue or a female. This is both and. And sometimes, though, we think, well, I'm not, I haven't assaulted anyone or abused anyone. But friends, if we're viewing pornography on, a, on a whatever basis, regular basis, once a year, whatever it might be, we are objectifying the people we're looking at. They're objects for us. And we're using them. So as we think of this topic, we need to broaden it to outside even of the realms of assault, abuse, and harassment. We need to think of purity and the idea of purity. And again, when I said earlier, this isn't just something for men to think about. It's both and men and women. But I want to let you know, guys, that here in a few weeks, on March 1st, it's a Thursday night, we're going to talk about pornography. We're going to talk about purity. We have a special speaker coming in who's going to share his story, his struggle, his testimony. And then after that, we're going to have uh, some opportunities to be you being a group with people to talk through these things further. Not just hear someone speak about it, but talk about it. I would encourage you to take that step and come on Thursday the 1st. So all of us have something to think about as it relates to this topic. Next, those who have committed these acts. As you think about this topic, the wide range of behaviors are go from things being said that shouldn't be said all the way to inappropriate touching, all the way to rape and assault. And there's so many things in between that identify sexual assault, harassment, and abuse. And as I was preparing this, I was realizing there might be some sitting here that you have done some of these things. You have harmed others with your words and with your actions. And maybe you, like David, are saying, it's all covered up. No one knows about it. It was a long time ago. No one was hurt. I haven't thought about it much. But friends, I want to remember, just like David thought he had covered it up and no one really knew, God knew. God knew. And the Bible speaks of confessing our sins acknowledging our sins, repenting of our sins, walking in a process of, of restoration and getting healing and changing how we live. And David didn't think it was coming to light. I don't think David thought it's coming out. No one's going to know. But it came out. And maybe today you're sitting here thinking, I need to talk to someone. Maybe this week you need to send an email, you make a phone call. You need to let someone know what you've done and accept those consequences, whatever they might be, because of what you've done. And we could do this because of God's grace and his mercy, because it's right. It's the right thing to do. And then lastly, survivors. And honestly, this, as I think of this group of people, many even here today, there was even some fear in me talking about this, not fear in addressing this topic, but fear of, I don't want to say anything today that in any way would re-victimize you that would cause you to be re-victimized and walk again through what you have gone through. And I want to let you know that, especially even for those that have never told anyone, you've never shared this, you haven't sought help, you just, for whatever reason, no one knows. 
I just want to let you know, we are willing to provide the resources necessary for you to get the help you need. We believe in a God of healing and restoration and, and uh, take whatever you've walked through. And we're willing to walk with you on that journey. And I want to let you know, I hope that in us talking about this today, that you hear today that you matter and your story matters. And this is a safe place that we can walk together towards healing. So I want to pray for us. We need God's help in many ways. You've been kind to listen. And I want to pray for us, and then we're going to sing a song as we wrap up. So Lord, man, just a weighty subject. And um, so Lord, I just want to pray. I pray for all of us that uh, we wouldn't say this is, some, this is a, something for other people to think about, not me, but Lord, what does is, what is it mean for us as parents to have these conversations with our kids? Lord, if things are going on in our kids' lives, would you bring that to light so we can help them? And, and Lord, I pray that we would be that community that creates that environment of healing and it's safe and stories can be shared and people are believed and we can walk with people on this journey of healing and find hope in Jesus. And and Lord, I pray for some that sitting here today and they're thinking of what they did. They are multiple things. I pray for courage. I pray for courage to acknowledge it, confess it, embrace the consequences, accept the consequences, whatever they might be. Lord, it's the right thing to do. I'm thankful for your forgiveness. You are a God who forgave David in that moment. You're a God that wants to forgive us. So, Lord, I just pray that you would um, help us to move more and more, grow more and more into that type of community of faith that lives out what was on the screen there. We need your help. It's not easy. It's messy. So, Lord, you help us. We need your Spirit's help. And we pray these things in your name. Amen. I'm going to invite you to stand. We're going to sing uh, really a blessing, a prayer, if you will, as we wrap up our service this morning.
no selfish gain in this house hope and love will of the Lord this morning, hasn't it? Through our worship and uh, the Word of God today and the message. Uh, if you would, uh, just in that tenderness, if you're comfortable, just open up your hands to receive uh, the closing blessing and benediction. To those today who need healing, may Jehovah Rapha, the Lord our healer, go into the places where you've been hurt the deepest and may he heal you there. For those today who, who need forgiveness, may the Lamb of God, who takes away the sins of the world, take away your sins. To those today who need to learn to live in a new way, may you hear Jesus say, come and follow me. He'll show you a new and better way. And for each and every one of us today, may the ever-present God make himself present to you this week so that you know you're not alone. Go in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit with his blessing. Amen. Amen. God bless you. <laughs>